This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. Whew, man, that was a hell of a fight. But at least culinary yeah. sorceress Barbara Ganoush is defeated. I took a beating from those tater tot golems. Gonna need some time to heal. Yeah, me too. All right, we searched the kitchen sanctorum. What do we find, Phil? Hey, you're gonna find some good stuff in here. Uh, first, you find a runic cast iron frying pan. Gives you plus one to hit and damage when used as a weapon. Nice. Yep, and plus one per uh, plus one per die when preparing foods and food effects. So. That chorizo of healing that you found is going to heal 2d4 plus 2 instead of just the standard 2d4 when you prepare it as an omelet with the pan. Awesome. Plus, you find Barbara Ganoush's Gastronomicon, and it gives you the location of the five spice portals. And if you take time to study it, which I assume you guys are going to, you will learn the summon food golem and animate bread spells for free. Yes, so worth it. So with that, welcome to the 470th episode of the Mr. Mark podcast. Tonight, we discuss using player and character rewards in your tabletop role-playing games. Along the way, we'll take your comments, examples, and suggestions live from the chat room for life on Twitch before jumping into the after show. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. And I am Old Man Logan. Welcome back to the Mr. Mark podcast. All right, gang. Let's do our temperature check, see how everybody's feeling tonight. Phil? I am doing well. I had therapy uh, this afternoon, Ooh. and um, I'll probably talk a little bit about it in the after show, but uh, I'm doing well mentally, and uh, no aches and pains out of the ordinary. I'm 50 aches and pains, um, <laughs> so we're going to count that as good as well. So I am uh, double check marks, good and good. How about you, my friend, Bob? Yeah, so uh, mentally, I would say I'm probably a solid B plus right now. So uh, rolling along pretty good there. Uh, physically, uh, I had a little bit of soreness here and there. I had a massage after work though, so I'm feeling pretty good right now. Um, so Thera- boom, boom. therapy for the muscles. Yes, double check marks over here as well, Jerry. I'm pretty good. Um, had a good weekend. A little bit sore because I helped a friend move after moving my own mattress. Uh, but other than that, it's been good so far. My allergies aren't bad. And uh, we've had some nice weather here in Buffalo. So things have just been nice. Agreed. The weather in Buffalo is uh, the first, like, it's the, oh, let's see. It's not fake spring, right? That was like a couple weeks ago when we had, yep. like, you know, some nice weather. And then we had the snapback snow. Um, we're like in second fake spring where um, it felt pretty good today, like, it was nice enough that this evening I started the evening when I got home and I took off my socks and walked around barefoot. But by the time dinner was done, I was like, oh, I got to put socks back on. Like my feet are cold again. Um, yeah. And, you know, you it's, with your toes. did you make fists with yeah. your toes? Yeah. Your toes. No, I, I took a nap. That's my um, after uh, therapy. It's best to just go take a nap and let your brain sort sort itself out. Um, no, but it's we're in the period of weather where I wear a sweatshirt to the office in the morning and then stuff it in my backpack on the way back out of the office because it's like it's not needed to it's it's needed in the morning not needed in the afternoon and then soon we'll reach 
Uh, and like another month or so, we'll reach the point where I don't need a sweatshirt on the way into the office. I like to call this spring light. Spring light, yes. That's good. Yeah, we, we have a lot of, uh, everybody in the office uh, have companies' fleeces, zip-up fleeces, different colors. And these are the days when everybody comes in, it gets a little bit warm, everybody opens up the windows, and then like 20 minutes later, everybody puts their fleeces back on, but leaves the windows open. <laughs> yeah. So We're not allowed to open our windows I, for morale purposes. No, I'm kidding. It's <laughs> like a hotel. Yeah. Meetings yeah. will continue until morale yeah. improves. Exactly. Yeah. Right. All right. I think we have announcements tonight, don't we? Yeah, I'm just gonna run through some uh just run run through a couple of light things, um, nothing too heavy. Uh first of all, um Monty Cook games fans and cipher fans, old gods of Appalachia Kickstarter launched today. Don't yep. worry if you haven't backed it yet, they're going to be okay. Yes. <laughs> Eleven yes. minutes into the Kickstarter, them. they were all set. <laughs> At this point, you're just making a pre-order, but go ahead, show them, show them your love. Like if if yeah. if, if if that is your uh, what you call it, if you're interested in either the topic or the company, show them your love, yep. get your money in. But don't worry if you don't if you can't back it. Don't worry, yeah. they're they're okay. For those of you yeah, watching, I'll, I've got it up on the screen right now. Uh, 24 days to go. They're already at 4,379 backers and 594,000 dollars in change of their $50,000 asking gold. So they're, they're just, they're going to be just fine. Don't worry. But, uh, but honestly, like, I'm, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but honestly, like it, it's great for them. Like they oh, yeah, have absolutely. over the years done a fantastic job of building a fan base. They have consistently put out um, good games and they have a uh, killer track record yep. for uh, delivering on Kickstarter. So it is absolutely zero surprise to me that, um, they are where they are uh, numerically or that they funded in 11 minutes. It's completely what I would have expected. So um, I'm, I'm kind of interested in it because I, as I was telling the guys earlier, I listened to that podcast, which is a kind of a spooky story kind of thing. And it's, it's well done. If you like um, it's, it's like welcome to night Vale with a little bit more plot. <laughs> but it's, it's that kind of feel kind of eerie, creepy, but it's based at Appalachia. So it's really cool. Yeah. Um, I will say this, my feeling on all Cypher games, um, all Cypher games are immensely easy to run as GM, as, as a GM. The mechanics, um, there's not a lot going on behind the screen that lets you really focus on character story and stuff like that. Um, and I will say that um, being a player in a Cypher game is actually a tremendous amount of fun. Um, there is a lot of um, dial turning in terms of um, your spends, your pools, um, the use of um, whatever they call them in this game, your ciphers, like all of that stuff, yep. like all in all, um, all in all, the cipher system will pull out a pretty uh, fun experience. It's been my it's been my take so far. Yep. Okay. Next one on our list um, is the new Marvel RPG. I believe the playtest is coming out 420. This is just the playtest document. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to just say this. My stance on this is um, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter not be very nice about this. This is Matt Forbeck's um, work. I think, um, I mean, Forbeck's pretty stand-up guy, um, solid designer, right? Um, this may not be everybody's cup of tea in terms of, you know, your, you know, your favorite RPG, um, but there's been a lot of dunking. Haven't been, a, haven't been a fan of it. I'll say this. I'm not sure. I see some things I like. I see some things that are clearly um, just where design meets marketing, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Like the stats spell Marvel, 
right? The best die roll in the game is 616. Like, I mean, that's just, that's dovetailing right into your, the IP, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I don't have any problems with that. Is it going to be kind of chunky for people who like lighter um, superhero games? Probably. Um, Is it going to be too light for people who love champions? Probably. Somewhere in the continuum of Marvel games, you may find that you like this. And if not, there are like 10 other Marvel games you can avail yourself to um, before you even leave the Marvel um, set of role-playing games. Anyway, I'm going to probably check it out. I'm, um, I'm curious at least just to see what makes it tick. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I can't know. Like, I, I mean, I've seen, an, yeah. I've seen some of the stuff, but I don't know. I'm not really going to know until I see it in play. And Bob, of course, will want to do the ultimate burn test, um, which is so go Spider-Man play Spider-Man. Yeah. Does Spider-Man feel like Spider-Man? And yeah. so yeah. far, the, the, so far, yeah. the Marvel game that has won as Spider-Man feeling like Spider-Man was Saga so far. Yeah. The Saga system was, was very, very much Spider-Man feely when you played Spider-Man. I will say this, though, looking at the information that they've released so far, they are coming right out of the gate with a ton of digital support for this game. Not only are they putting out digital support on multiple um, uh, online platforms, Roll20 and another one, which demographics, I think, is what it's called or something like that. Hmm, Um, Interesting. But two different uh, online uh, role-playing systems are, are getting support for it. They're putting out a whole bunch of digital um, tools on the website, like uh, a compendium thing and tool tips and, and like all like enhanced game stuff when you're looking at the rules and, and, and everything. So it sounds like they're really doing a, a, a nice push to make this thing as cross-platform and accessible and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, I'm going to check it out, see how it looks, um, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Last one I'm going to mention, it's not up yet. It's coming soon. Later this month, Brindlewood Bay from uh, Jason Cordova and the, and the uh, Gauntlet crew. Um, I have not got a chance to play this game. I love everything about this game. Um, <laughs> this is very much on my list of things that I very much want to uh, both play and run. Um, it is... Um, it is, uh, let's see, Murder, She Wrote, Golden Girls meets like Cthulhu. Like <laughs> there's a lot going on in this game that is just what? so, um, so unbelievably Jason Cordova. Um, and I will hint that I'm talking to Jason now. Um, good chance. Very good chance. Um, we will be talking to Jason about Brindlewood Bay uh, during the course of the Kickstarter. Nice. And I'm seeing here in the chat room that our good friend Jim likes RPGs says he wrote the setting material is that is that accurate, uh, jim for brindlewood bay yeah jim did you write some of the did you write like some of the mysteries or like part of the um part of brindlewood bay that's awesome well oh descriptions, descriptions for, the, for town. the town fantastic nice that's yeah. cool i love everything i love i i've been buying all the pieces for this game since it like it first was announced because as soon as i heard what it was i was like oh yeah i totally like i i will get this to the table like yep. this, I will get this to the table at some point. It's got a kind of, it's got a really neat, um, it's got a kind of really neat mechanic for solving the mystery. Um, you just have to, cl- you collect a bunch of clues and then there's a move that you roll to see if you actually solve the mystery or not. Cool. Like, it's not like predetermined. It's not like this is the answer. It's like you, uh, you accumulate a bunch of clues, you make up your hypothesis and then you roll. 
that's very interesting. And that could obviously be um, ported out to a lot of different other types of mystery type games. Uh, yeah. I so. think Jim is working on a, um, on a derivative of Brindlewood Bay, if I remember correctly. We'll let Jim comment on that when the lag catches up. Yep. And real quick, one more from the Queen. You can still back uh, Improv for Gamers 2nd Edition on GameFound. So if you haven't done that yet and you still want to, you can. So jump out there and take care of that. Mm -hmm. All right. Cool, cool. Well, that is going to bring us to our feature segment tonight, which means I have to hit the button. And Phil, go. Workshop, workshop. We're talking about rewards. We're talking about goodies. You're going to get stuff. You kill stuff, you get stuff. You do missions, you get stuff. What are you going to do with the stuff you get? Well, we're going to tell you tonight here in the workshop. And don't suck. Suck. <laughs> who who All right. water? Me. <laughs> so, since we first ventured into our very first dungeon, rewards have been part of the core loop of role-playing games. Most RPGs today have some sort of effort-reward cycle built in. And while games may be designed with rewards, sometimes, as GMs, we worry about giving away too many or too few or giving away a reward that breaks the game. Well, worry no more because tonight we're going to get into rewards and look at what makes them tick and how best to utilize them in your game. And of course, if we're going to do that, we need to do some definitions, which means button number two. Behold, you are in the presence of Definition Panda. All right, let's start with the, with the main word for the evening, reward. Something that is given in return for good or evil, done or received, or that is offered or given for some service or attainment. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, here's, another, here's another definition. A stimulus, such as food, that is administered to an organism and serves to reinforce a desired response. Now, that first definition is best describes rewards for characters, right? Character slays dragon, character gets its horde. The second definition best describes the player. Use your character to kill the dragon to get treasure to go and murder more creatures for more treasure. Okay, for tonight, we're going to focus mostly on the first definition. We're not going to ignore that second definition. We're going to talk about it a little, but really for tonight, we're looking at that first definition, looking at the character focus of this. Um, but um, keep that second one in mind. Now, when it comes to character rewards, um, they fall into two general categories. The first one being mechanical rewards that provide some sort of mechanical advantage to the character. Like a plus two sword that gives you a mechanical advantage in combat to hit and damage. Straight up. Mm -hmm. The other one is narrative rewards that provide some sort of advantage in the narrative of the game. Like you finish a quest and the king gives you a title of land. Yeah. Now, it is possible that some narrative rewards can actually also become mechanical rewards. For example, you need somebody brought in, so you call the favor of the space sheriff, and they help you capture a fugitive. Mm -hmm. And likewise, of course, and I didn't put an example in, but of course, a narrative, um, I would call it, a mechanical reward could become a narrative reward, like a mystical sword, um, you know, getting you an audience with a king because you're carrying the, you know, this mystical sword, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. All right, um, one more term, power curve, right? This is the description of the progression of how much power a character has through the course of a game. And for instance, in D&D, &D, characters often start with low hit points. They do very little damage. They don't have a lot of spells. But over the game, 
all of that changes. They get a lot more hit points. They get to do more damage. They have many, many more spells and abilities to draw on. That's the power curve. Yep. Um, we call it a curve because um, it can increase at different rates um, uh, at which the game progresses over time, right? So like some games, you know, um, well, I'll just use my own definitions here. This is from an old episode I, I lifted out. Uh, many of these curves tend to be somewhat sigmoidal, right? Starting slowly, accumulating quicker at mid-levels and then topping out at higher levels. Uh, but like there's all sorts of power curves that a designer can use. Like, you know, you can be, you know, relatively flat until you tier up. And then like your next tier, you know, you move up, you know, the chain, that kind of thing. It's all going to depend. We're not going to get deep into power curve tonight, but the word's going to come up. So I just wanted to refresh everybody on it. All right. Excellent setup for this. So with all that background, Jerry, answer this cream puff question. I'm hucking you a softball right over the middle of the plate, buddy. Why do players like rewards? Oh, who can tell? No, I don't think we have to overanalyze this. In most games, our characters are going to face challenges. And in most games, those challenges are lethal. So from a character motivation perspective, that's be a reason to put your life on the line. Yeah, like seriously, why would you venture into a monster riddled ruin, putting your life at risk without the prospect of some coin or a magic item? Mm -hmm. So from the player's perspective, we're playing a game and there's this kind of brain chemical hit for putting your character at risk and then receiving a reward for that risk. From the game designer's perspective, there's a power curve to that game. And the core loop of the game and many time rewards are part of that calculation. In other words, you're expecting the players to have certain bonuses as you're planning out the mechanics and the adventure material. So you plan that material to take those bonuses into effect. Exactly. As players, it comes down to it. So as players, when it comes down to it, having a mechanical or narrative reward in a game uh, can increase your overall enjoyment of the game. Like we like to see the fruits of our work. Um, There's a certain rush the first time uh, you take your new magical sword into a fight. And you're now doing more damage or, um, you know, you're seeing its special effect or whatever, like in play. Um, And there's a rush when you're able to use like a favor from your rich merchant to overcome an obstacle that could have been difficult to have to get past yourself. But you call in that favor, which also like kind of completes a loop in the game, right? Because you're calling back a um, you're calling back a character, but like that rich um, that rich merchant is like, oh, I can totally transport you there. You know, think nothing of it. And, you know, arranges to have you, you know, sent there. Like, that's fun. Like, that's a cool, like, that's a cool moment in the game where you get to kind of use one of your, you know, like one of your things. As a reward, as a GM, rewards are going to be an easy form of motivation. Not all games center around getting rewards, but it's an easy motivator when you need it. And some dungeons need nothing more than the promise of some cool items to get characters to jump in. Think about things like the Tomb of Horrors or White Plume Mountain. Both of those are basically just adventures you're going into to get some cool stuff. She's rich. <laughs> How rich. How rich. All right, let me sum this More up. Than- <laughs> Rewards are good and fun. There you go. Mm-hmm. Phil, yeah. can we roll through some different types of rewards? Yeah. I, I mean, well, how can I top that, right? They're good and fun. Yes. All right. Um, we can, and we should talk about categories of rewards. Um so we've tried to do our best to distill things down into some of the more common categories for rewards. I'll put the standard disclaimer on here. These are neither um, complete in order. So if you figure one out that I didn't put in the list, uh, feel free to like to tell us and let us know, but um, we know. Okay, Jerry, what's our first one? Bonuses. These are rewards that can convey some sort of bonus to some kind of reward. For example, your plus two sword. Give you a plus two to hit yep. or damage or both. 
Um, another one is effects. So these are rewards that convey an effect of some kind to the user, like a potion of gaseous form, like makes you non-solid and all the things that go with that, right? There's like a bunch of rules about what happens when you're in gaseous form. Next are utility rewards. These are rewards that make some kind of task easier while not necessarily conveying a bonus, like getting a horse or a magical rope is a reward. Mm -hmm. I, I love utility rewards, actually. Mm -hmm. um, another one is currency. Um, this reward provides you purchasing power to get other things like gold coins or jewels, right? Like we can then use those to go buy other things in the game. Um, and I'll just do this one because it's color coded. Yep. Um, that's for the people not looking at the show notes. Um, the last one is advancement. This reward moves the character along the power curve of the game. So like experience points. Now, that is mechanical rewards. Let's talk about narrative rewards. What do you got, Jer? It's going to be a favor. An NPC organization will do some task for you when asked. That's a favor. For example, the hitman who owes you one. Next time you need somebody removed, the hitman will take care of it for you. Absolutely. Um, or you can get creative with it, right? Next time you need a gun, mm -hmm. right? Hitman can help you out there. Um, yep. Another one is membership. Uh, an organization allows you to join them and become a member, such as entry into a thieves guild. Next will be information. Someone gives you knowledge that you don't have, but that will be useful for you. For example, the location of a hidden magical library is given to you as knowledge. So you can run off and uh, find that place. Mm -hmm. uh, next one, uh, rank. An NPC or organization gives you a title or rank within the organization that comes with some benefits, such as a noble title. Next will be access. An NPC or organization gives the character access to something or some location. So, for example, now they have the ability to land at certain spaceports that are normally off limits to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the thing is that a reward can actually be many of these things put together. So, for example, you could have multiple mechanical rewards, like a plus two sword that also gives you fire resistance. Sure thing. You can have multiple narrative rewards. Membership in the Spacers Guild gives you uh, use of their astrological data. And next would be a combination of mechanical and narrative rewards. Uh, membership into the Wizards Guild will give you training, allowing an extra spell slot per day. Or having a hireling who manages and organizing your kit every day, allowing you to draw once a day an item for, as a free action. Because, you know, every day they go through and make sure your stuff is where it's supposed to be. I would take that reward. I, I can't even tell you how many of my characters would have taken that reward. You're a, a caddy. Like we'll I would totally... We're going we're gonna to talk about that in the after show. <laughs> uh, I recommend the battle axe, sir. You sure? Uh, <laughs> by, the, by, the, by the way, that's a typo. It should be astronomical data, not astrological data. Oh, well. Yes. You're the Spacers Guild, and now you know whether you're a Cancer or a Gemini. You know what? But maybe you know, like, you're supposed to fly because, like, you know, Mars is in retrograde, and you should. There like, you go. You should, you should not, you like, you should not jump, like, you should not jump to warp. I, like, true. that typo, that typo is, it works in both directions. Like, yes. All it right. Does. Anyway, the takeaway from all of this is that there are a lot of different types of rewards to be used. Um, so use them, right? Um, and if you haven't thought about it, go look at the game you're playing and kind of uh, check out what, like, what are the rewards the game names, right? Because especially with things like the narrative ones, they don't actually have to be in the game for you to use them. 
because those can just be like a, a part of your campaign material that you're creating. The mechanical ones are probably going to be in the book, but the narrative ones may or may not be. And so um, I actually like games that uh, mix both. Like I think there's like in Traveler, I think you get some like more narrative based rewards um, besides the mechanical ones. Like I, you get like some of the usual ones, but like, I don't know, I guess maybe most of those are. Well, they're, they're a combination. Uh, when you do your backstory, you often get things like a membership of the Traveler's Aid Society. Yes. Um, you, you, get, you get things like um, you're part owner of a starship, or um, if you're playing one of the Aslan, you can own a ridiculous amount of land up to and including several planets. Um, all of those have their own, their own situational issues, but they're a lot of fun, and they're great for narrative play. Cool. Um, I had a character who owned like six planets. Uh, at the start of the game so it was a yeah so it's a lot of fun um all right so now that we have an idea of the different types of rewards phil where can we run into problems i'm just gonna say that i broke our own pattern here because there's two fills in a row but that's a clear sign i wrote this over two days and didn't go back up and scroll up so my apologies (laughs) jerry i've broken the rotation here i've cursed i've cursed this episode but anyway, no, let, Phil, don't worry about it, man. We're, we're rolling with it. Go with it. Here we go. Let me Improvise. let me talk about it. When it comes to rewards, there are four core issues about what you need to worry about. Um, and they they break down like this. Too few rewards, too many rewards, not useful rewards, and rewards that are too useful. Um, we're going to talk about each one of them and kind of what makes each one tick. Jerry. All right, we're going to start with too few. Because of many games using rewards, we don't need to be cognizant of what rewards characters are accumulating or how fast they're accumulating them. But if characters accumulate too many or too few rewards, it's going to affect gameplay. Third edition D&D was like this, um, where designers, as they created monster adventures, assumed the players had certain items and or bonuses at certain levels and designed uh, those to those numbers. Um, if your GM was writing their own material and they were stingy about giving out items and then use any of these monsters or adventures in their campaign, the characters would be at a disadvantage because they lacked the expected bonuses and abilities. Um, I experienced this in Pathfinder. Uh, so if your game has some of those assumptions baked in, the rewards need to keep pace. Also, players who are feel that they're being too starved of rewards may begin to reassess missions or start hoarding rewards and so on. Um, for example, uh, we had a game of Rifts where the GM made bullets really expensive and very hard to get. So you started looking at missions as um, how much is it worth? And there was one mission we ignored because the party said, well, we're getting paid X amount of dollars, which is equal to the cost of like 28 bullets. So if we plan to shoot more than 28 times, this isn't this is not going to work. There are at mm-hmm. least 30 enemies in this game. We're not taking the mission. Sorry, lady, your farm's gone. And we walked away. The GM couldn't figure out what to do with it. The flip side of that is I played a D&D game with my ex and she made money really hard to get. Like you were getting real, you would kill like three ogres and get like 20 copper pieces kind of stuff. <laughs> and so we started doing things like we were skinning rats and, and sewing them together and making our own like rat coats to sell in town. So we had enough money to buy food and it slowed the game down to a crawl because we were doing like we looted everything. Like we were like every bad guy. We were taking all their clothes, washing them, sewing them together, so we could sell them in town to make money because we weren't getting enough money. And uh, quick, mend the sword, mend the sword, like the sword whip. Oh no, it wasn't even that. It was stuff like we're gonna we're gonna strip all the hobgoblins. 
wash all their loincloths and sew them together to make a shirt because somebody in town will give us five copper pieces for a shirt and five copper pieces that's like a quarter of an ogre you know that kind of thing oh. um, yeah so when that happens it change, if you're not giving enough rewards then it can change play style and uh often, yeah it can often in a way the gm does not want um, I'm I, I'm not thinking that was you know that is that is the unexpected consequence of those of those actions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, look players me. look players are resourceful and like have yes. a vested interest in their character. So yes, like you know, starting to make the assessment of like this mission is not worth you know is not worth the money to buy the bullets. That is you know that's a problem, especially in rifts. Like, oh, um, it it got to the point where we went like three weeks in a row where the players just avoid just said we're not taking these missions like we're, we're, we're gonna lose money if we take this mission so we're just gonna sit around in town and beat up on whatever bad guy shows up and never leave town <laughs> we're gonna go uh, steal some bullets is what we're gonna start doing the mm -hmm. D, D one could have been much worse too instead of just like scrimping and, and putting things together to sell i mean the the characters could have easily decided you know, we're gonna robin hood this shit and we're just gonna mm -hmm. steal from the rich so that we've got some money and there were no feel rich. bad because it's the rich. There were no rich. <laughs> There's got to be a noble somewhere that had more money. They're than rough, the they're a rough yeah. neighborhood, a rough yeah. kingdom, man. Yeah, it was. But yeah, I mean, that that's something. Yeah. That, as funny as those all sound, as a player, it was really frustrating. Oh yeah, that's not fun. Like I mean, no, we're laughing at it from the outside, but if I was if I was in that game. Like I would be totally frustrated. Like I, I, I agree. I would just be like, yeah. "This is." There would have been a conversation with the GM, like, "Um, excuse me, um, we need yeah. cash." Yeah, or you just, or like, like you guys did, right? You just start getting super like passive aggressive yeah. about like we're not taking these jobs. Like but the passive aggressive in the, path in the D and D game. Go. Yeah, in the D and D game, the GM actually eventually listened to us and changed the rules. In the Rifts game, the GM kind of give gave kind of a a mischievous smirk every time it came up like ha 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 look what i'm doing um and once again this is why nobody plays with jeff sturman anymore so <laughs> wow well you've been warned folks all right <laughs> moving on to too many rewards um you'd think it wouldn't be a problem but it is um you can actually you can actually have a problem by your players having too many rewards uh in the olden days us old folks um we would call this a Monty Hall uh, issue. By the way, if I don't have to explain to you what that means, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, if I don't have to explain to you where that name comes from, you are probably eligible for your fourth COVID shot. Yes. So <laughs> yes. go go sign up and get your fourth COVID shot if you know the origin of the word Monty Hall. Okay. Anyway, it's named after an old host of a TV game show. Anyway, the problem is when uh, you have given too many rewards to your players, um, challenges just get too easy. Uh, they wind up having a item or a thing to solve everything that's in their way, right? Um, maybe they have too many magic items and like they have like way too many utility items and they can just bypass like um, traps and things like that. Or they've got a ridiculous um, set of bonuses on their weapons and they're just like, they're just carving through um, opposition. Um, or, and this is even still a problem, they could have too much money. You'd be surprised what problems you can get around with money. I mean, hence Tony Stark and Bruce Wayne. Um, like sometimes just the application of gold will solve um, a great deal of problems. You, you also have the problem of if the players have too much, motivation don't come up. 
This yeah. was the problem. This was the problem with early with the like for the, the rise of Tiamat adventure for D&D. Once you got to like level six, you had more money than you were ever going to spend and there was nothing to spend it on. And so money stopped being a motivator for anything. You are um, you are getting to the next topic. Let me finish off this one because you're about to t- you're going to talk about. Oh, that I know one. that. I know that. But you're right. Like once yeah. once you've accumulated too many goods. You might just be like, well, that the risk reward on these things doesn't seem to be making sense anymore. Yep. All right. So the problem when you hit, so Jerry solved, Jerry told you that the problem when it's too few is just to actually let a few more rewards into the game. Yeah. When there's too many, you actually have a harder problem, right? This is, um, this is the Pandora box problem. Like you can't close this thing once it's open without taking some sort of noticeable action um, because you now have to separate the characters from their loot. Um, And this gets sticky because it leaves a few solutions and none of them are anything anyone's going to really like, right? So you can just by GM fiat, you can just take the items away from the characters. You will definitely piss them off. Um, You can nerf the items. People aren't going to be thrilled with that, but maybe you can broker a good idea. Jerry's put in the notes, Rust Monster. Fuck Rust Monster. That is my absolute least favorite monster that has ever been created. Um, You could ratchet up the power curve, but you could get yourself in trouble with this because like, while the players may have ridiculously high bonuses to attack, they may not have more hit points. Right. And so when you make an opposition that can handle the bonuses that they're getting hit with and then they connect something with the players, then they just splatter somebody. Um, Yes. Jim, Jim, Jim likes RPGs mentioned taxes, which is also just take the items away from the character. Right. Like nobody likes that. And then the last one is you could retcon the items away. Right. Um, You could have a discussion and retcon um, the items away your mileage will vary with this. Bob has a fantastic story when we get past the break of, um, of, of how this was terribly done. Um, yes. And th- I, I was, I almost had Bob tell it in this section and then was like, no, no, we'll no, save no, it no. for the discussion. That was a it wise is a choice. terrible, terrible idea. All right, Jerry, what happens when um, rewards aren't useful? Well, this is what happens when you have a reward, but it's not really useful in the game itself. It could always have been not useful or, it could be at some power tier that the specific reward is no longer as useful. Like, uh, for example, a potion of cure 1d4 is really useful at level 1 when you're at level 15, not as exciting. Brush, my teeth, with, brush my teeth with that. It keeps, yeah. keeps the gingivitis away. <laughs> okay. So, perhaps your game rewards the characters with something like Galactic Credits, but there are not a lot of things in the game that you can buy with these credits after the early phase of the game. And so, as a result, these meaningful purchases become useless. Early on, you can get a better blaster, a force shield, etc. But after that, there really isn't anything worth spending your credits on. This was the D&D 5e originally. They fixed that, luckily. Um, this reward then becomes less popular in the game because accumulating credits doesn't really have an effect on the character. Now, if you run into this problem, you can solve it yourself by just house-ruling other things you can spend that reward on. Maybe you can start pricing out ships, or put their money into a company, or buy a new Android, or, or hire a caddy, whatever. I'm a hundred percent for this caddy thing. Go on, go on. I'll talk about that later on. Um, so in some games have rewards that include some drawbacks. Sometimes the drawbacks make the reward less appealing. Uh, for example, some of the weapons you can get in White Plume Mountain sound really cool till you see the nasty side effects. Um, 
in the game Rippers is Ripper Tech, and Ripper Tech uh, has a chance of being really negative and in a point where sometimes the negative effects um, offset the positive effects. And when that happens, they don't seem to be as appealing to some players. And once again, I'm going to say some players because some people may find those negative those negative abilities to be benefits. I feel like most of White Plume Mountain is just uh, designed on a middle finger scale, right? At the lowest, it's just like one middle finger to the players, right? And just like increases like as like with each room, like. I don't know, I, I because I think you know that going into it. Oh, you, you do. Know? I mean, it was, I mean, look, it was originally a tournament adventure. Yep. It was like made to be played at a con. It is, um, it's got like some of the worst, I mean, quote, dungeon ecology ever. And yes, the items in it are, um, are, you know, good, terrible. I think it's a, um, I think it's a fantastic tournament adventure. I think when you drop it in the middle of your campaign, like most of us did as kids, um, somebody starts walking around with that terrible uh, death sword thing. Mm-hmm. Like, and now it's like stuck in your game. Black like, razor. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Whenever we played it, we just sold them back to whoever it was and took the monetary reward. They went out and bought something better. <laughs> nice. Uh, I remember the go ahead and finish. Go ahead and finish but, but, we were, we, but, but we were mercenary resourceful. So, <laughs> um, and then lastly, if you as a player find the item not to be useful, talk to your GM about it. Tell them, hey, listen, I'm, I'm not in, you know, am I missing something here? Um, is there something that I should be doing that I'm not doing? Is there some reason this thing exists in the game? This seems like it's, it's pointless to have. Why is it there? Or what can I do with it or whatever? You know, tell your GM, this doesn't seem to be a reward. And um, they can talk to you about it. Now, if you as a GM find your players not using the rewards you give them, it's also a good idea to ask why. Some players will hoard rewards, especially if they're not getting a lot of them. But sometimes they just misunderstand the item or think it's more trouble than it's worth. You may put some cool stuff into the into the game, and the players are like, meh, and push it aside and don't worry about it. Um, and it has to do, I've talked many times about the Mechton game I ran, where nobody wanted to get into Mechtons. The first time they got Mechtons as, as a reward, they were like, meh. They didn't care that they had them. They weren't, we are not going to get into those flying death traps, so it doesn't matter that we got a bunch of them. That kind of thing. My, um, I remember my GM in my uh, first AD&D game. Mm-hmm. Um, I got the Wand of Orcus because, you know, you're playing AD&D in fourth grade. You get the Wand of Orcus. And one of the abilities on it was, or one of the, um, not abilities, the effects. Um, and the GM was so excited when he told me this. He's like, uh, if you use the Wand of Orcus, it changes your gender. And I'm like, whatever. Like, have you seen the other bonuses on this thing? Like, whatever. I'll just use it twice. <laughs> I'll just change gender, change right back. Like whatever. They were like very, that. they were very, they were very disgruntled. <laughs> they were like, wait, what? And I'm like, I'm like, don't oh, worry. There, oh, the, there, there are advantages of changing gender once in a while. So, uh, yes. and not, and not just the social ones, the mechanical. Oh no, I did it a few times to like escape, like capture. Like I just like mm-hmm. used the wand at nothing, changed yep. genders and snuck out of a town. Cause they were looking for a dude. Like, yep. oh yeah, the GM really underthought the usefulness of that. Uh... <laughs> oh, that, that is the one thing players will always find uses for negative effects. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. All right. all right. Anyway, our last one, um, the reward is too useful. Um, this problem is similar to having too many rewards, um, but it's actually somewhat easier of a problem. Um, And what we mean by that is like, in this case, some reward is actually too powerful for the power tier of this game. 
Um, it could be an artifact that has too many mechanical advantages, um, or it could be the favor of a very powerful NPC um, that the players have like figured out how to leverage too effectively, right? Like name dropping this NPC causes other NPCs to like run um, and they don't even have to call in the favor. They can just basically abuse it by dropping names. In this case, you got to do the same, your same choices as before, right? That we talked about. But since you're only dealing with one reward, it tends not to be as bad. Um, but in addition to the previous suggestions we meant we mentioned above about like nerfing and taking it away or whatever, there's also another one that uh, works really well here, which is you can have the item or favor run out, right? There could be a limited number of uses mm-hmm. on this thing and uh, that just runs out. So you use the NPC's name one too many times and then they like call you up and they're like, I hear your name dropping my, you know, like you're dropping my name all over the city, like cut it the fuck out. Okay, sorry. Right. Like, good. Now we're even. And then your rewards, you know, done. You're over. Um, Or, you know, you push, you know, you use the wand for like a whole dungeon. And then, you know, at some point it just, you know, sputter, sputter. It's out of power. Right. No one's going to enjoy losing their too powerful item, but um, it's easier to fix that. um, And probably with less bad feelings than like having to go like figure out when everybody has like way too many rewards. Like I got to, I got to cut back 25% on all your rewards as opposed to, Hey, I got, I, you guys got to leave this wand of Orcus thing alone. <laughs> like, yeah, I, like I overdid it. It's going to run out of power or something like that kind of thing. It's just, I think easier. Yeah. All right. So before we hit the break, Jerry, what are some tips that we have when it comes to rewards? All right. We've got some tips for you. And as always, uh, standard disclaimer, which is that these are in no particular order and is not complete, but here they are. Phil, start us off. Mechanical rewards are great for lower power tiered characters, right? Where succeeding in survival are your main concerns and actually your biggest challenges. So picking up a plus one or plus two at those low levels is like really exciting. Picking up that plus one or plus two when you are super high level, again, keep in context of the game, uh, probably not as exciting. Narrative rewards are great for higher level characters who are more competent and can use connections and favors more than a bonus on a sword. But narrative rewards could also be fun if done right with low level characters, if it allows them to connect or do better role playing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Um, if you're unsure if a reward that you're putting into your game is too powerful, put a countdown on it. Charges, uses, duration, number of times per day, whatever it is. Um, this way, um, you only have to deal with it for a short time before it goes away. Next. Change to adapt your challenges as your characters accumulate rewards. Early on, a chasm is going to be a tough obstacle to get around for first-level characters. But later on, if they have the means to fly over it, stop using chasms. Just don't plan on them being a challenge. Uh, yeah. You still have them as set dressing, but understand that that's not going to be something that's going to hold the players back. Exactly. Yeah, you know, it's like, it's like you know, when your um, first-level character is the rickety um, bridge going over the chasm is a um, fantastic, you know, skill check kind of thing but like later when everybody has like dimension door flight teleport you know gaseous form whatever like just there's a rickety old bridge cool we all fly over it there you go (laughs) onward and upward all right um don't build obstacles and opponents who are specifically designed to be immune or nerf all of the players existing rewards right you're essentially just taking away all the cool things about the character right um building basically you know opposite guy is not going to like the players will not enjoy this encounter. Now I'm not saying you can't build in a few defenses. Like if the characters are known for like, like 
you know, um, if the character is known for like, well, this guy always carries a flamethrower and you make a guy who's, you know, immune to fire, but not to like all the other things the characters can do. That's cool. Like, that's just, you know, that's, that's just, you know, your character, your opposition is getting smart. But if you specifically like scour their sheets and are like, okay, you can't scry on this thing. You can't teleport to it. It's got fire resistance. Um, Oh, that guy's got, um, that guy's got mental things. So uh, it has some, you know, uh, psionic immunity. Like you build that character. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, okay. It's the infamous anti-magic zone, no superpowers ability thing, that sort of stuff that yes. always ticks off everybody. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, it's far better to talk to the players about having too many rewards and come up with a solution than to just fix it in the narrative on your own without telling them. Yeah. Is that right, Bob? Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. Yes. I can't wait for Bob to tell the story. Okay. Um, you can use one reward to keep another reward working. So for instance, character gets admitted to the wizard's guild, but is expected to pay a certain amount of uh, each year, either in gold or magic items. Right. So now where gold wasn't really an issue for them, um, now maybe gold is an issue for them because they got to make like their yearly payment and maybe it's not cheap because, yep. you know, Wizards Guild gets to pay the dues. Right. And sometimes the reward is going to be on loan. You might get loaned a starship or a magic item given to you by a patron and they expect it back at the end of the adventure. You get this cool thing for one adventure and you get to try it and play around with it and see how cool it is, but you're going to have to give it back. Um, and that takes care of a lot of the problem of powerful items. So, um, providing the players give it back, <laughs> which is its own adventure on its own. I mean, my favorite example of this in comic books, if you've, if you're reading Marvel comic books in the last couple of years is, um, there is a moment and I don't know who was thinking about this. I'm pretty sure it was Nick Fury. Nick Fury gives Punisher the war machine armor and is like, I need you to do this job. And then after you're done with the job, just fly back and give me the armor. And Punisher's like, righto, I'm on it. Does the mission and then comes back and is like, I'm going to go waste me a whole bunch of people because I got War Machine on. And Mm -hmm. like proceeds to just tear through the town, like through New York City, murdering bad guys left and right. And they're like, wait, you're supposed to give that back. Like, Uh he's like, "Uh uh-huh, like Scorpion, right? Like, you know, (laughs) why did you sting me? Yeah, mm-hmm. they have to like send Captain Marvel to like get him out of it. Like, oh, that's funny. Well, and you know, she also has some things because it's Rhodey's, um, it's Rhodey's suit. So yeah, there, there was a whole thing there. But yes, yeah. if you loan it, if you loan yeah. it, maybe as a an addendum to Jerry's thing, if you loan it, probably have a means to get it back if your characters are not scrupulous. Like, yeah. like loan it to their clones and then just you know. <laughs> And just waste their clones. That story gets a lot of mileage. You know that there's so many things wrong yes, with that does. story that it like saw like yeah. it answers so many like it's an example for so many problems. Anyway, that's our overview of rewards. We're gonna take a quick break, check in with the chat room uh, before we do. Bob, um, tell us about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network that definitely has um, rewards built into it. Oh hell yeah, mastering dungeons, baby. RPG veterans and game designers Teos Abadia, Abadia, right? It's Abadia. Yes. And Sean Merwin, look at the game and the hobby of D&D from a variety of viewpoints. 
reporting the news, understanding the business, reviewing the products, and illuminating the design. Whether you're a fan, a player, a DM, or a designer, Sean and Teos cover topics of interest to you. Give it a listen. I just finished listening to, they just did an eight-episode run discussing using old old D&D adventures, um, including Uh White Plume Mountain and Tomb of Horrors, in updated games. And it's really interesting to hear they talk about not just using them, but the pros and cons of using old games in new systems. So it's really, if, you, yeah. if you're if you a fan of new D&D or a fan of old school D&D, the last couple episodes have been really, really interesting and have a lot to kind of uh, bring into your stuff. So I'm just going to add that cool. in there. I, I, so. have a, I have a strong nostalgia for, I have a very strong nostalgia for old D&D adventures. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. can't necessarily cr- comment on whether they're good or not. But I have such fond memories as a kid buying them, reading them, playing them, that um, I am very biased towards a large number of D&D adventures. I mean, I have some faves. Um, they talk about why that is in some of the earlier, in the first couple episodes. Um, so it's worth look, looking at that. But I, I agree. I, if I'm running 5e, you will normally get something from the early days of D&D adapted in. Now, adapted in. But there's some interesting stuff in there. A lot of it because unlike many of the more modern adventures, they were designed with two things in mind. One was just drop this in your campaign wherever it fits. And number two, with, with, with no concern over the consequences of having this in your game, which is part of the fun. Yeah. But also the fact that a lot of those were designed with the idea of here's a bunch of stuff, but as a GM, you're going to need to do some work and make it your own. And that's part of the fun is like take some of the early stuff like um, Village of Hamlet. If you read the Village of Hamlet, there's a ton of stuff going on in that town that's never explained. There's like a lawful good spy who replaced the somebody in town who disappeared recently. And they've got way too many knives. They never explain why, what they're there for. They're just there. But as a GM, you can kind of stick in whatever your favorite group is, Um, you know, those kind of things are there that, that makes for some of the fun of it because there's a lot of like keep on the borderlands like why are all those monsters together why haven't they killed each other off why aren't they raiding each other for each other's caves mm-hmm. like your yep. cave like clearly the k cave is way better than the a cave like yeah yeah um, and, I, I don't, and, and as a gym you can do that go ahead phil no the, so if i had one motivation to learn and run 5e mm-hmm. it would be the goodman um remakes of all the classic D&D adventures like they've remade a whole mess of those classic D&D adventures into um obscenely large books um my wife and, bought me a couple of those for christmas this year yeah and my favorite D&D adventure of all times is one of them which is uh, expedition to the barrier peaks um which i fondly always love um it is um it's just one of my favorites. It's a classic where you find a spaceship. Yep. Players find a spaceship as a dungeon. Mm-hmm. Um, followed by my other two um, favorite adventures, which are actually from Dragon Magazines. And I, I don't remember the names of them. But in the 80s, there was a adventure that went into a ruined uh, wizard's school. And you find there's like a lich, like the, the headmaster is like a lich at the, like still dwelling inside the school. The school's like in this cavern. It's a cool ass adventure. Um, and then there's another one about the mace of St. Um, what is it? St. Cuthbert. Um, Col- yes. Cuthbert, yeah. Where 
Um, the mace is in modern day London and the players go through a portal and wind up in modern day London. It was a dragon magazine adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, fun. It was, um, uh, it was, it was a trip. Like I had, I had like so much fun uh, running that. Cool. So, so. riffing off the, uh, or uh, tangential to your, uh, your uh, problem with the, um, the gender change on that magic item. Um, Senda mentioned the cursed coin of Kenderbane. That, you know, was supposed to be cursed, but she found it super handy. It was a gold coin that always returned to her pocket. She thinks it was supposed to make it like she was stealing, but it was useful for stuff like casting light on it and dropping it down a giant crevice to see how deep it is. And then it would just come back. Oh, uh, boy, the, the number of things you could, um, the number of things you could do with a gold coin that just kept coming back. Like, wow, I could. Yes, you could give it to people. Um, and then, you know, you can use it to pay for drinks, get it back, pay for more drinks, yeah. get it back. There's a lot of useful, uh, stuff for that. That's, I would love to have a thing like that. Yeah. yeah that I love, more, I actually, that seems actually more useful than punishing. Yeah. I actually love those kinds of, um, um, mm-hmm. uh, call it rewards. Like I find, I find those like, well, we'll talk about it when we get into the game yeah. and we talk yeah. about favorite rewards, but that, that is actually one of my, um, more favorite, um, more favorite kind of rewards. Mm-hmm. And speaking of which, let's jump into the second part of the show, where we are going to hit the roundtable talking about rewards, starting with question number one, Phil. Uh, tell me a time. Tell me. Tell everybody. Share with the class. Share with the class a time you've run into a problem when it comes to rewards, um, either as a player or as a GM. Well, for me, it was in Pathfinder. Um, I've told Strezzy for about when I was playing like 11 or 12 online games at the same time. And one of them was a separate GM who was running Crown of the Cobalt King, which is a second to third level adventure set in the outlands of Pathfinder. Now, Pathfinder is a game where it's expected that at every level, the players have a certain number of magical rewards. They actually give you, there's a chart in the in the GM's book that says, like your players should have this many gold pieces worth of magic at this level and so on. So the game was designed for that. Um, we had a six player party. They were first and second level and the GM was just really stingy with rewards, treasure, experience points, everything to the point that we were like going into encounters where six players at level two had 15 hit points between us, not each scattered between the party. Um, I was a wizard and I was one of the frontline fighters half the time because our fighters would get knocked down to zero too often. Um, and uh, we just weren't, and, and I, had, I had run Crown of the Cobalt King multiple times, but I just, I, I played dumb. I wouldn't make decisions that would affect things. So I knew as we got, I'm like, we didn't get this or we killed this. And we didn't. Hit. So I just kind of let it go for a little while. And eventually I talked to GM about it. They're like, I, I don't like magic items. I'm like, you're running the wrong game system then. Like Pathfinder is designed around the fact the players get and make magic items on a regular basis. Um, there's a reason why we go into a room, kill something, and then turn around and leave the dungeon to heal because it's not even safe to stay in the dungeon because if we get jumped, and, and that's literally what we did. Like for the first like 15 rooms, it took us like 15 encounters to, or 15 sessions to go through 15 rooms because we'd go in a room, fight something, and then leave. And yeah. it took a long time to talk to, and once we explained what was going on, um, he and I had a long discussion about like how to balance it out, how much, not too much, but like, you know, g- give the cleric a heal, cure light wounds, something or whatever, you know, because we were using all of our spells in the first encounter or two, and that'd be it. And 
it, it, it slowed the game down and the game never made it all the way through. We eventually just gave up. Yep. The players just started dropping out of the game. Half of them didn't really say why. All of a sudden we just, we had one who just stopped posting altogether. It just never came back. Um, was in another game of ours for what we talked to. But uh, yeah, it just ended up, it, it, it was, and it was all because the GM was too stingy with rewards. And that's a game where they tell you right in the rules, like you need to do X, Y, and Z to do this. And how to balance it so if you have six players this is how you make your encounter half again is tough you know so it's not like the gm would have had a difficult time balancing it up um it, it just didn't work and it really uh it, it really made it tough for everybody so um luckily i went on to play the game so it was a lot more fun in other places hmm. but uh and hopefully they learned so bob what about you yeah so um back uh when i was a junior in high school uh in the before times like way back in the day, <laughs> I was in a group, a bunch of people that I knew uh, at the time, and we played a multi-year game of um, basic D&D, probably five, six years of, of playing the same characters. And the GM was, he was an interesting mix because he did a lot of the classic uh, GM no-nos that you shouldn't really do. Like he had a GMPC that would steal the spotlight sometimes, um, stuff like that. Like just he he ticked off a lot of the boxes of don't do this as a GM. But on the flip side of that, he was excellent at creating compelling villains that we grew to hate with such a loathing that we would go out of our way to go after these bad guys. And we had a lot of really cool stories that we played through in part due to those villains. And we had a ball. We, you know, like at the time we didn't know that he was making mistakes and and we didn't care. And, you know, we were having a ball with everything. And one of the things that he liked to do on more than one occasion was just take our shit. (laughs) So we're tooling around. I forget what level we were, but we were upwards of 10. And we all had like a good core of magic items. We had, you know, armor and weapons and some miscellaneous stuff, belts and girdles of giant strength, stuff like that. All the goodies. And we're tooling through a dungeon. And I'm fairly confident that we either didn't look bad on us or we checked a door and failed a roll, didn't find anything. We all walk through the door. We come out the other side. Come to find out, the GM says, it's a greater door of teleportation, and it took everything you own, including your clothes, and you're now standing on the other side of the door, butt naked. And we were like, what the fuck? (laughs) You son of a bitch. (laughs) And so we decided, this really sucks ass. We had to scramble around to get something to cover ourselves up. We all beat feet and ran home. We started scrounging for whatever we could find. And basically had to go on multiple adventures with like no gear, mundane stuff until we built ourselves back up and we started stashing items at our headquarters. Like, oh, now I've got an extra plus two sword. I'm going to put that away in case anything happens. And we eventually found our old gear, got all our stuff back through a great adventure against one of those classic bad guys, kicked his ass, took all our shit back. And then we took all our secondary gear and stashed it away in case anything would happen. And he did it to us again. He did it to us again. <laughs> Standing buck naked on the other side of a friggin' doorway. 
all your stuff is gone. And we were which, like, which, you- which in old school D and D is super dangerous. You are like yes. AC ten, like, like you are, like you are in you are in serious serious trouble. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was that was painful. <laughs> yeah, that's that's terrible. Yeah. All right, now it's okay. time for fill the rail on me. <laughs> I, I you know, I'm going to just So listen, this is just expectation management is where the problem where this lies yeah. and it's my expectation management. So we're playing um we're playing Bob's Palladium fantasy game back in the late 90s. Um which had um there was a lot of kitchen sink um going on in this game. Um but in 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 kind of a like just we all rolled with it kind of way like if you wanted in the game, it was in the it was in the game kind of thing. And um, we're now in the spell jammer phase of the campaign, where the beginning of the campaign was like we learned about a spell jammer ship, found it, brought it back to function, and went out into space. And we were like, kick ass, we are like we're in space. And we're flying along in one of our like first um first adventures in space, and we find this like floating pyramid in space. And we're like, ooh, pyramids are full of treasure. Like danger, yes, but treasure, yes. So we like, you know, bring us alongside, you know, bring us alongside. We're going in. So we go into the pyramid and it is undead festival. Like it like just all of a sudden out of the woodwork, the undead come pouring out of like every crevice like between bricks, like rampaging hordes. Yeah. So we are like fighting for our lives. And we're like, look, we are going to kick the crap out of everything in here because we are not getting run out of here without our reward. Right. So we like dig in and we, um, we fight hard. Um, and we wind up, um, killing everything in there. And we're like, cool, let's pick up our loot. And that's when Bob's like, yeah, this place looks like it's been uh, looted before, like previously. And if I remember correctly, it started to disintegrate. Like it started coming apart because we couldn't stay. We had to like make a run for the ship. So we got our like asses like kicked hard and no reward for it. And like very disgruntled, we like all run back for the ship, pissed off where we're like, that's it. We're becoming pirates. Like for now on, we only attack things that look like they have money. Um, I had to fight with them multiple (laughs) times. No, you're not going to become pirates. Knock it off. Like, no, this is it. We're becoming pirates. Like this, like we, we, we went into a dungeon and like, you know, got our asses kicked for, for nothing. That's it pirate it's a pirate's life for us it was i don't think that's i think we avoided it but um but it was and it's not bob's fault it was just the way the you know like oh, it was it's the adventure my he wrote. fault i didn't put any okay. treasure in there <laughs> well that's fair you didn't put any treasure in it but i mean it was our expectation i mean it was so here's all right here's where i'll say it falls off um had you had given us some hints once we got in it like Hey, this place looks pretty picked clean. Like it looks like, you know, like, 
like looks like somebody carved something out of the stonework or something. Yeah, this you know, room we could, looks like it used to have a bunch of stuff in it, but like coffers are tipped over. There's like maybe a right. copper coin or something laying there. And right you know, at that point, stuff. If, if we had some indication that maybe this place had been cleaned out before us, when the infestation started, we might have just been like, yeah, let's bug out, guys. <laughs> like, yep. let's like let's make way to the ship and get oh, out of look, here. It's an undead um, party. Too bad we can't stay. We got to go. <laughs> yeah, but like since we had no expectation that the place might have been picked clean, we were like, yeah. oh no, no, like no amount of undead is running us out of this place. Like, turn up, you know, turn up the damage, boys. We're going to work. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a mismanaged set of expectations and we were very disgruntled like we were grumbly players for several sessions after that they just grumble grumble happy yeah <laughs> on a I good mean, note though you know at that point you already knew that sean was a changeling but he wasn't an assassin yeah yeah we were we had, yeah and that was the previous um that was the previous leg of the campaign where we yeah. were still on the planet running east <laughs> Always go east. Uh, good times, good times. West is where they're coming to look for us. East, just go east. <laughs> Jerry, right, give us another go, question. Question two. So, question two. As a player, how important are rewards to you in a game? What are the factors that let you know that? And what are your favorite types of rewards? Yeah, so this is the, the, the fuzzy answer that people hate. It depends on the game. To a certain degree, it really does um, for me. For something like D&D, then there should be some rewards, especially because the system assumes that you're going to get stuff along the way. Mm -hmm. But I prefer to get cool things that aren't just a standard plus one magic item, right? Like, mm -hmm. give me a magic sword. Maybe it's not even a plus one, but it has like a cool thing. You know, mm -hmm. like maybe it's a flaming sword, but it technically isn't like a plus one sword. It's just a flaming sword. So, yeah, I'm going to get the flame damage. I'm going to use it for light or whatever. Give me something that's cool. That's got some flavor to it. And I'll be a happy dude. Um, when it comes to things like the more story driven games, those tend to lean towards more narrative rewards. So obviously narrative rewards would be, you know, more, uh, more acceptable in that. But um, yeah, for me, it depends on the game we're playing and the kind of story we're telling, whether or not I'm going to need rewards or really want rewards. And there are some games where I'm like, I don't, I don't need to, I'm just, I'm playing the story and I'm having a good time and I don't need to get stuff back. So it's a, it's a floating variable. What about you, Phil? So for me, like, again, and I, and I think, and, and, and I don't think it's a cop out. I don't think it's a cop out to say like, it depends on the game. It absolutely depends on the game, right? Like getting rewards for something like urban shadows is very different than like what rewards would be for, um, for something like D and D. Right. I think that's, I think that's absolutely mm -hmm. true. Um, I, so on the more mechanical side, um, I like one or two cool mechanical rewards like an item or something i love utility items like i love items that have like oh it does a thing um and then you kind of have to figure out what to do with it um which is why i love cypher right like i love cypher i love rewards in, in like like numenera i love rewards in numenera mm -hmm. games because like you just get these items and you're like i don't know what the hell am, like what the hell are we gonna do with that and then at some point later in the game you're like wait a second do we still have that this. item on us? Right. Yes. 
I love that. Like, what was stuff. the thing? What was the thing Tony did with it? He used like some mind control device to put a creature in heat or something, so it would run off and try to mate instead of eating us. Like that sounds about <laughs> right. And he had yeah, a, a can of adhesive spray or something like that something. that he basically exploded. So that oh it yeah, sp- yep. Fill up the made an, uh, the he made a bomb shaft. out of an adhesive spray. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So like, I really like. I really like. Um, I really, so I love utility rewards, having like, um, having a mechanical thing, like a plus two swords, nice early on when you're kind of like scared of getting killed. Um, but later just like, give me weird things. Like one of my favorite items from original D and D is that magic rope, that fucking, that, that animated rope thing. I fucking Uh love that rope. I will find a hundred things for that magic rope to do in a game. Um, and real life and real life. (laughs) Get to work magic rope. That would have that made would my life awesome. so much easier. Oh, that'd be awesome. One of yes, the greatest was. inventions of the wizard Shibari. Rigging's yeah. hard. Ouch. Oh, <laughs> there was only an easier way. way. Mm-hmm. Anyway, magic rope. Um, so the thing is, if I get too many rewards, I like lose track of them. And it's actually another thing what which I like about cipher games, like especially like Numenera, like you can only carry so many and you're supposed to get rid of them. Like you're supposed to use up your ciphers uh, so that you can get more ciphers. So I, like, I really like that because I will lose track. Like, oh, do I have a thing that does that? Like I'm flipping, like, I remember when we were playing Bob's fourth edition game at some point late in the, like late in the campaign, I had this like tableau of cards in front of me. Like I look like I was playing dominion, right? Like I had this tableau of yep. cards and I, and then on top of it, a row above it, was the tableau of all my moves. And like on any given turn, I was like, holy shit, what am I like? What do I pick? Right? Like it's too much. I need like, um, I need, I need less choices now mid to late game. If we're talking about something like a D and D thing, like then I really like, I love, I love narrative rewards. Like give me access membership ranks, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. I remember once um, in our D and D in our third edition D and D game, fairly early into the adventure you guys had um in fact it was a it was a watsi adventure called base of operations you guys had cleared out this like low level dungeon that was a ruined castle and then i was like here it's yours like i had the like the the king like the ruler was like well since you cleared it out and the you know there's agents of hextor milling about in these areas like would you if i give you the keep would you defend this area and then you guys were like shit yeah and like moved uh-huh. in yeah. Yes. And it was awesome. Right. Like it was, um, uh, what's called, it was awesome. Like, and it was like completely just a narrative reward at that point. Like we never, I don't think we had an assault on the castle or anything. It was just like a place for you guys to put your shit. And then yep. it anchored the game in a part of Greyhawk and we could go do stuff. It was really cool. So I love narrative rewards. Um, and then again, if you're playing something that's very social, like a vampire, urban shadows, cartel, um, narrative rewards are the shit like those things that give you narrative positioning are are at times even more powerful than getting mechanical stuff yep jer Uh, for me i've always enjoyed rewards um i don't like a ton of them but i like to have a lot of them and and do some stuff and a good mix um i enjoy a couple mechanical rewards i do like a little crunch in my game so mechanical rewards can be fun but i don't like them to be overpowering um i like often when they're situational based um i also like some story-based rewards I love it when you are in town and, you know, you end up making contact with four or five friendly NPCs 
and then later in the adventure those bonds come back to you you know you end up getting information you're looking for something um i've had gms that do that like you know everybody fails their streetwise check but they get back to their home base and you know the daughter of the woman who does all the washing in town comes up and says you know hey i heard a rumor about x and here's your information kind of thing and you get that because earlier on you know you were nice to them and gave them some bread when they were hungry or something whatever you know things that get paid forward um then of course situational i love one shot items or items with limited charges you know um you know once you know once once every full moon you can do x with this ability and so you've got 30 days before you can use it again um and everything from from simple items to to complicated difficult things but it allows the gm to let you do things and gms that want to try things out i love it when they give us um limited use magic items to play with because we're going to use them once especially when they're limited use but they recharge over time so you can use them that one time and then the gm can tell you when they charge back up again based on just how well they did at balancing that power level um and i like things that are physical related and skill related um and lastly i just like story-based adventure things that give you rewards that don't super unbalance the game um back when i was working with dark city games one of the adventures that they that the, the owner wrote was a game called island of lost spells in that game you could just pick up extra spells they just gave you extra things you couldn't cast more spells per day you just had more spells to cast with your spell slots basically hmm. and you got them for free um you could also um do some work in town and if you helped one local farmers and hung out with them for three or four days you got the skill ride horse for free something you normally have to pay experience points for did that overbalance the game that all of a sudden all the party members got a free skill level of ride horse no not at all but it felt rewarding to get that kind of thing and i like those kind of rewards that you know don't um that might give a minor mechanical bonus or give the players access to something that they would have had to spend skill levels for or a slot or a feed or something just yeah, everybody gets this you know everybody yeah. you guys have all been playing on the starship long enough everybody gets a free uh starship uh you know gets a free uh d6 in starship maintenance or something like that you know whatever um just yeah. give it to the party it makes the game flow better um those are all rewards i like and if the GM hands them out because of things we actually did, it's a very good action reward sequence that goes back and forth yeah. and tends to make the players do more than just walk in and kill monsters. They tend to do a lot more creative and interesting things, even if they don't know they're getting rewarded for it. So I like it when the role playing aspect and the interactive aspect of games give the players rewards, whether as a GM or as a player. So that's me. Yeah, I like that one, Jerry. I'm I'm a big fan of the occasional, not all the mm -hmm. time, but the yep. occasional, here's the thing you would normally spend XP on, but it makes sense in the story. I'm going to give it to you guys all for free, and it's story appropriate. And mm -hmm. I'm like, cool, that's really neat. And your horse example was perfect. I love that. <clears throat> the, the writer forgot he put that in the book. And when we play tested it and did our review of it, Every playtest group that I had thought that was great. When we sent the notes to the 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 writer, he's like, Wait, "Did I did I do that? Oh, I, I, does that? I mean, no, don't take that out. Everybody no, loved it. Out. <laughs> you gotta keep that." <laughs> but yeah. that means everybody got a got a full extra skill point for free. I'm like, "Yeah, don't worry about it." 
It's not breaking the game. Seriously. <laughs> not at all. Don't worry about it. Plus, now, now everybody's going to go around looking to buy horses, which is great. So, uh, so it's cool. All right. Question three. As a GM, how are you about giving out rewards? What are your strong suits? Do you have weaknesses or concerns? Well, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm better at this now than I used to be. Um, in the past, I was absolutely one of those stingy GMs who made players like grateful for getting a plus one sword. Um, and I remember being at Gen Con when I was in a Watsi discussion where a couple of the Watsi designers were talking about the baked in math for third edition. And I was like, oh, shit, like I'm fucking up my guys here. Like I've been doing a disservice this whole time because I've been worrying about power creep. So I was like purposely ratcheting down magic items. And I was like. Oh, I got to breathe a little like magic item into the, like into this game because I'm like, they are going to get hurt at some point. They're going to run into soon a level appropriate monster that has, you know, magic, you know, um, what was it? This is the non-magical items. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one, right. So you gotta have like minimum plus one to hit him or something. Mm -hmm. So I actually fixed that. Like, I actually, like, I I was like, Oh, I got to get, like, I got to get on the, you know, wagon wagon here. And I actually did push a few more items into, um, into some adventures to make sure I put like everybody with a plus one weapon, that kind of thing. Um, when it comes to giving out rewards and games, it really is dependent on the game. Um, like we're playing Ox right now and there are like no real rewards to this game. Like, it, like there's story to be discovered and um, there's good deeds to be done, but like part of the game and it's like part of the reason we're playing it is like, it's intrinsically good. Like you're just good people, like doing good things. The rewards in Ox are the satisfaction of a job well done and the friends we made along the way. Right. All joking aside, though, we have actually gotten you've actually handed us a couple of um, aspect cards based on the things we did role playing wise. Assets. Where assets. We will set up something, and you'll give us a quick roll for it. Like, okay, roll to see if this works. But if we do it, all of a sudden, okay, now you've got like. Oh, now you've got the Kaiju Defense Squad as an asset you can use. So if you need to go from point A to point B, or you need to get, like, we're like, oh, we need to get um, a bunch of boats and some large nets. And you're like, oh, yeah, well, the Kaiju Defense Squad, you can just play that aspect and get that for free. You've made friends with them. You've shown them you're useful. That's still a reward. And that's part of the fun. You, you've been giving out those rewards as narrative assets that we've acquired by our actions and by our choices and by our role-playing things. They're not quite physical all the time, but you put them on the table as things we can use. That's um, yeah. We just did one this past week. What was it? Um, Chris, Chris deciphering the, uh, the language that all oh, of a yeah. sudden that, that, that was a useful asset that came up multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't permanent, but it was there and, and helped modify things very well. So yeah, you, you still do, even though the game itself doesn't have, like plus one power suit of death you're still giving you're still giving us a good i i at least bob i think i feel that we get a good reward i I agree uh yeah and 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 it's often that's one of those combined narrative mechanical things you didn't know you were doing it but you did a good job with it so there (laughs) all right well there we go i'll I'll take that um i will i will accept your compliment so i do think i actually gained better at it and i think i did an okay job when we were playing um uh, forbidden lands and actually forbidden lands actually gives like some really good guidelines for loot and like uh, some things you can roll on for loot. So I was felt mm-hmm. pretty good about like hitting those. It is actually a concern I have because I was so stingy in the past that um, 
I'm always like, I'm always a little worried about, am I, am I giving enough? And then again, am I giving too much? Um, yeah. I, 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 I often vacillate with that. Like, um, I'm always afraid I'm going to do the thing where I give out something too useful or too much of something. And then everybody's going to breeze through, um, breeze through challenges. So I do fret about it, um, a bit, like I said, think I'm better than I used to be. I definitely in the past was like purposely stingy, um, but again, and, and so here's the thing, and this, this is the thing that kind of, um, uh, kind of upsets me. I had to go learn that fact about the magic item thing sitting in a, um, Watsy exactly. seminar, like, like yeah. future game designers, listen, like put those assumptions, those design assumptions, like yeah. write them in a sidebar, like mm-hmm. magic items. Like, Hey, by the way, here's a handy little chart of where we think your characters will be numerically at level five, at level 10, because when they talked about that math, they weren't just talking about magic items. They said things like um, they expect characters at a certain level to have cloaks of resistance and things like that. Therefore, save DCs for like, you know, spell saves and stuff like that were also calibrated on the idea that you would have items. Mm -hmm. um, They had a laundry list of stuff that was baked into the math of the game and didn't put that information in the text of the game so that the GM knew unless now, they figured sure, it out. I'm not own. sure if they did or didn't because I, be I will honest, say the same thing because I, I, I own the dungeon master's guide. I don't know that I've really read it because I've read, I've read five other dungeon master's guides yes. before that. This is where I'm, yeah, I'm going to also say the same thing. I also did not read the entire dungeons master's guide. If it's in there, then I tip my hat to you guys for putting it in. But also, I didn't get to it, so we got to talk about like maybe putting yeah. it up forward, like up front or something. Honestly, <laughs> like, back then, no, I, hey. I read cover to cover the player's handbook and the DMG for 3E because it was new, fresh stuff, and I was super excited about it. I didn't read the Monster Manual cover to cover, but I read the other two. And I don't remember Thank anything God. about that because I remember sitting in that seminar going, holy shit, this is a revelation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that might be that might be why they made a point of it in Pathfinder. Like my path, yeah. my Pathfinder rulebook. I have that. I have a little st- sticky tab on that page, so I can go back to it all the time to find that because it's something to, to to look at for that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, um, put that in your games, kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, if, and, if, uh, if you've and, got and, math and, baked into your games, share your math. Like it's yeah. okay. And to all of our fans out there in podcast land, if you uh, do know that it's in the five E. Uh, either player's handbook or GMG or one of the other books. Please let us know when and where, and we'll put it in. A, we'll put it in the post notes. Yeah, I'm so. willing to admit I was wrong on this because yeah. it's entirely possible I was too excited yeah. of running the game than I was to sit and read all of the rules and the. DMG. I don't remember it either. <laughs> I don't remember it, but it could be there. <laughs> entirely, entirely possible. Entirely fair. Yeah. All right. Cool. Where are we? Uh, we're on. Jerry. Oh, Jerry. Jerry, yeah. your turn. All right. So here with the class. Um, I- I used to I used to Monty Hall the hell out of stuff. I gave out too many rewards. Um, I let my players keep everything. Um, they went through all of the S series and the C series, so they had um, the Soul Gem. They had the Demonococcus of Igwild. They had um, they kept one of the three weapons from White Plume Mountain. They had all that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, and and to be honest, especially back then where the game wasn't quite as uh, mechanical as three as three three point oh and three five were. Um it did really unbalance things because it didn't matter how powerful they were. 
you just tossed three red dragons at him and they were back down in, in, in trouble. You know, okay, yeah. so they soul gemmed the first two dragons, but the third one's still going to beat him up a little bit. Um, I have a hungry kitty here. Um, so he's early though. But uh, these days, um, I'm really a big fan of limited use items, so I'm not sure the power balance. Uh, in new games, I do tend to be a little stingy with, with stuff until I learn what the power curve is. Um, if you're playing Star Wars Genesis, I'm not going to give you you know, a lightsaber, unless you're a Jedi, I'm not going to give you access to a super special weapon with five upgrades until I see just how the rest of the math adds up, because I can see how you can just, it's, it's a game you can crunch on. Um, so I like that, but uh, I really like limited use items. And to go back to it, the one that taught me the best way to do that recently was uh, one of the Pathfinder adventures into the Haunted Forest. The players get uh, five artifacts at, at, at first level. And the artifacts are left deliberately vague. They're just magical, but they give you some suggestions. And if you go into their, their homepage, they'll tell you even more. But it's things like um, a vial. I think it's a vial that can hold a pint of liquid. And once per day, you can turn that liquid into pure water. That's it. Um, one is a breastplate that gives you the armor of breastplate, but is light armor instead of heavy armor. And you can cause the front to light up like a little flame with the magic flame spell. Um, One's a, a wand that has 10 charges that gives you burning hands. Um, little things like that. Nothing super powerful. And they tell you, they suggest that these should level up with the party. When the party reaches like 6th level, 12th level, whatever, then bump them up a little bit. But those were great items because they were either limited use items. Um, the only one that was pretty powerful was the one that um, I think lets you scribe five clerics, five levels of cleric spells on it per day. Um, or, or at any given time. So you can take the time, but it costs you no money. You can just, if you take the time to scribe, so you can like scribe five cure light wound spells on it. Um, there's a, I think it can have a maximum level of like third level spells. So you have like a third to second, but um, at higher levels, it can be a problem. At low levels, it's great because then your cleric can just toss all the, all the first level spells on that they might want to have, but don't want to have spell slots for. So again, those kind of things taught me like, oh, this is how to do low level things in the game to give the players You'll look at your players talk to them find out what it is that they wanted to do but can't quite do yet and give them a limited use magic item so they can do that one thing once in a while it's kind of the i guess that's the dcc theory you know give them the ability to do something cool just keep it low level you know um yes you've got fireball but it only does 2d4 damage but it's a fireball cool that kind of thing um i like those kind of rewards and uh I, I try to find out, the big thing is, I like to find out what the players really want as a reward. Um, I was running Cyberpunk, and three of the four players just didn't like cyberware because of the humanity cost and all that kind of thing. So upgrades and stuff like that weren't going to be good for them. Uh, one of them just wanted an AV4, which is, in Cyberpunk, it's a flying, it's a flying truck. Oh, uh, that's, that's a... Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's what he wanted. Even if it had no gear on it, he just wanted a flying truck. He wanted that thing. He had some cool ideas for it. Great. That was his going to be his reward in like the third adventure. Is the players get a hold of a beat up AV4 that didn't even have doors on it, but they got it. So um, I'm also fond of giving players rewards that generate stories. So if it's something that they want that's really cool, give them part of it and then let them tell you how they're going to get the rest of it, you know, um, and make that into a story. And then they'll generate the adventure and you could just, you know, and then that, that it's worth it. Give them what they want. Um, don't give it to them super powerful. You know, I, I would not give them the wand of Orcus, but um, in there, you know, <laughs> yep. But uh, 
but and sometimes they just have even in games that are like um gee i wish my fighter could do x or i wish my wizard could do y sure you go ahead yeah you can have that you know just give them that as a reward you know your wizard really wants to be able to use a two-handed sword but doesn't have the uh the weapon the weapon proficiency in it but they do something really cool and in story they end up hey great let them hang out with a bodyguard yeah give them a free weapon proficiency one free weapon proficiency is not going to break the game in any in any of the editions of D and D. But how cool is it when your wizard's running around with a great sword? Right. So, um, and my last thing I'll say is for that kind of stuff, uh, Janelle Jackway's central casting was great for just generating oddball little things the players could get. Just go into any of the tables and roll randomly to see some of the I unusual I, things you could get. I keep ahead. thinking there's something problematic in that book. Like somebody keeps telling me that. Like I think there's something. Oh. Oh, there's something very problematic in that. Okay. Um, let's just let's just be clear then. Let's just put that up as a yes. Um, yes. We don't have to give uh, a huge warning on it, but just uh, it, and, it's, and, and, it's problem. And, it's got some problematic and, content. And Janelle is pulling, yeah, basically. Um, if you're gonna play, if you're gonna go through central casting, just completely ignore the um mental afflictions page. Just don't use it, don't look at it. It was written at a time when we were really not understanding the there, there are there's insensitive things, but Janelle Jackways is redoing that, by the way, doing the whole book. Oh, and, 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 oh, and cool. doing with a lot of, and, and so it, I guarantee you, none of that'll be in there in the new one. So, so. I mean, and, and I'll say this, right. I mean, like this, this kind of problematic contents like pops up because um, the um, uh, palladium is right. Like the palladium system is rife with that shit too. Yeah. Um, I have all the old palladium books, like the original ones, and mm-hmm. they have some, they have a terrible, um, they have a terrible treatment of, um sexuality um mental, um, mental you know mental issues like it's bad anyway yeah. we let, let's depart from the yeah. topic. i just wanted so, to bring it up because i know somebody a, a former a, it, yeah. a listener had mentioned it before and i just wanted to you know recognize that there is so anyway, there are some problems um and but that's how i that's how i like rewards though so no i'm with you i'm with you i i mean cool yeah i think we've i think we've covered everything you feel like we've covered everything i think so so that's a look at rewards and goodies. Cool. We hope the next time you prepare rewards for your players and their characters, some of this advice will be of help. Let's go and check in with the chat room one more time before we head over to the conversation corner. Yeah. So uh, Lemming127 said uh, 5e doesn't require um, certain stuff. Um, and if it does require it, it tells you how to adjust the game for it. And it's fantastic. if it does record it, it's going to be low scale. Um, they don't remember exactly uh what the what the details were but uh and i vaguely remember something along those lines as well because after um the the stuff from 3e and then the changes in four um i remember that standing out to me when i was flipping through five so so that's cool um and uh, Jim Likes RPG said the better new OSR games understand uh, the, the the issue of uh, of that kind of stuff and, and they're more prescriptive about it. So that's cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it's good that, um, I mean, here's the thing. We're getting like, we're getting smarter at this stuff, right? Yes. We're, we're, we're getting better at how to handle these things. Like, I mean, I think, um, what's called, I think DCC does a nice job. DCC has some really interesting um, magic items and rewards. Like, yeah. They're um they're not you know necessarily useful. I think um like I said I think Numenera has one of the best um I think it has one of the best mechanics, but also the rationale for the mechanics in the game. Like here's all this weird shit you find in the ground. Also um 
keeping too much of this shit together uh, is problem. Like this stuff has weird interactions with each other. You can't, you know, at low level, at low tiers, you can't safely store this stuff because you don't know enough. Um, just use it. And I really like they they just push really hard. Like you know, I, they tell you in the GM's book, like give out minor ciphers like they're candy. Like mm-hmm. players should be using those minor ciphers all the time um, because they shouldn't be hoarding them. Like I'm, oh, I'm not going to get any. Like just keep throwing them out there because. You guys had gotten to a point where sometimes you'd like stop at the end of an encounter and be like, all right, what do you want to throw away? We can't carry yeah. all this stuff. Like which one of these should we keep? Which one should we toss? Yep. So, um, so yeah, I, yes. Yeah. And like you said, the, the frequency of, of acquiring them also helps with the potential problem of I've got this thing and I can't figure out what to use it for. Like some of the stuff, you know, you think about it a little bit. And, oh, in this situation, we could do this or we could do that or we whatever. Every once in a while, you've got one and you're like, I have no bloody clue what we could use this for. It seems super, super, super edge case situational or whatever. And then you get something else. Like, I know what to do with this. Whoop, you huck the other one. Yeah. There you go. I think I think one time, didn't you guys give somebody a portable shelter? Oh, yeah. Like you made a portable made a portable shelter and like left it. And we're like, well, this way people yep. will have a place to stay. Yeah, this is now like a, a stopping off point on the way into these, uh, the special caves, I forget what they were called, but the special caves that we were going and exploring looking for someone, we're like, now we've got a waypoint, a way station where people can come in here and rest and, and just hang out. Yeah, yeah, I just, I like, it, to me, that's, uh, Numenera does, like, to me, Numenera does that um, exceedingly well. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a really, um, it's really fun, and it, like, just, like, gives the GM... Um, a lot of encouragement, like just throw them out there, let people use them, have fun. Like don't, you don't need to be stingy with them. That's why I like when something's like a utility. um, I think it's one of the cool things about utility ones, utility ones, you wind up getting to be super creative with. um, And then at the same time, like they just, because they're not mechanically um, disruptive, uh, you can just like mess around with them. Mm -hmm. So cool. All right. We good. Yeah. Convo corner? Convo corner. Do it. All right. So over the past week, I have continued my fairly torrid reading pace. Uh, I finished up the uh, the large compendium of H.P. Lovecraft, um, and I have moved on. I'm working my way through now the third book in the most recent trilogy by uh, Joe Abercrombie. Um, mm-hmm. So I have uh, the first two books... And the Lovecraft thing over the past three weeks, I think. So I've been I've been burning through books and enjoying the hell out of it. So, but I've got a huge backlog of books to read. So I'm like, yes, yes. Of course, that being said, gameplay has been suffering. I haven't touched No Man's Sky in like three weeks or more. Um, we're due for a Valheim run somewhere along the line, Jerry. So we should probably plan that. We are. Um, but I am very much enjoying reading for pleasure again. So that's good. Um, besides that, of course, we had our Ox game this past weekend, um, keeping up on Picard and Moon Knight, which I'm enjoying both, um, yeah, working my way in like season four now of Schitt's Creek, um, which the, the stories are getting even better. Um, I, I don't want to go too deep down the rabbit hole on it, but again, the, the, the growth of these characters is, uh, is fun to watch. And I've been watching uh, over the last couple of days, three, four days maybe, um, a 
ton of stand-up comedy. I love stand-up, and when I find somebody that's super funny on Netflix, for example, if they've got other specials, I hunt down their other specials and I'll watch everything they've got. Um, there's just some people that are just like, they make me laugh my ass off. And I found some recently that are super topical, um, you know, with discussions about, you know, stuff happening during the pandemic and pre and post and some political stuff about, you know, the, the government, the U.S. government elections and stuff like that. But but it's all grounded stuff that that they use for funny anecdotes and 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 good jokes and stuff. And it's just um, it's not enough to be like, oh, God, I don't want to hear about this. You know, I don't want to hear about the Donald or anybody like that. It's like but there's some funny shit in there. So I really enjoy that stuff. So that's what I've been uh, keeping up with. Jerry, what have you been up to? Well, uh, this last Friday, um, Bob had us over to his house. Uh, Phil and Glenn were there as well. And uh, we watched the 4K edition of Star Trek The Motion Picture. It has yes. been at least a decade since I've watched that movie. And it was fun. It was uh, The thing that came out of it was that, number one, the special effects were so cool in 4K. There's just some beautiful stuff. What they wanted you to be impressed with at the time is actually impressive now. Um, it also would have made a great, like, one-hour Star Trek episode. Yeah, it would. It's, it's just two hours long, and um, just going to say, uh, we, we had a lot of fun. We did a little MST3K at times. Um, we were watching the evolution of the uniforms as, as the costume designer realized that those uniforms were a little too tight at times. Um, and on just, the boys. A little too on tight the on the boys. Oh, yes. yeah. What was your what was your comment? You know what religion Decker is now? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Fully aware of Decker's religion. Thank you. We totally um, MST3K'd that whole movie. It was Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot of fun. But it is still it is still really good track. It's a good story. If you've never seen Star Trek the Motion Picture, um it's long. Don't be put off by the fact that when it first starts. There's a star field with no music and no sound for three minutes. That's deliberate before anything happens. You're just watching empty space with nothing happening. And then the credits roll. So it's, it's, I'd forgotten about that. That was from the theater too. Um, yeah. So if you're watching this at home or watching it streaming, your computer did not break. It's just three minutes of nothing. And then the, then the credits roll up, um, but it's really cool. And I think it's worth sitting through for the big reveal at the end. Because the big reveal at the end is pretty cool. It's a and, cool sci-fi story. Yeah. Doesn't that, isn't there, doesn't it actually, doesn't part of Voyager actually tack onto that at some point? I think there was a Voyager episode about, about, about V'ger also. No, not about V'ger. There's a Voyager episode that is about a, like an old NASA. Okay. Um, but it's, it's, it's cool. It's, it's got some good stuff in it. Um, and you get to see uh, uh, 70s sex orgy. Uh, McCoy all over the place. <laughs> it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's a really yeah. cool move. It's a really cool move. It's, it's not exciting. It's very slow paced. It's worth sitting through to the end. Definitely. Um, so uh, everything else um, I watched, um, I think it was Man of Action, Wrath of Man. I, so I got the Wrath of Man, the, the, the Guy Ritchie film. It's a cool action movie with Jason Statham. Uh, it doesn't look like a Guy Ritchie film, but it's still fun. I finished season three of Justified. I've been enjoying it all the way through. Um, Moon Knight has been amazing. And if if episode one of Moon Knight left you confused, episode two explains a lot. Um, 
Picard has been good. Um, I watched the uh, Death on the Nile movie they made. I was a big fan of the one from, I don't know if it was the 70s or 80s. So it's one of my favorite Agatha Christie stories. And the new Kenneth Branagh film was a lot of fun with some beautiful scenes and just a, just a who's who of British and American actors all over the place. So um, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, we did Ox this weekend, and Ox was just a lot of fun. I know Phil's going to go into it, because the Ox was fun. And lastly, I did a lot of Lego builds this week. So if you follow me on Facebook, you've seen a couple of them. So that's it. Phil? Yeah, yeah. Um, so my one thing is Ox. Uh, we played um, played our third. Um, our, we're playing our third story of Ox. Um, and we so our first two were uh, disasters that um, – that the players helped avert um, a, a uh, fire cane and a wedding in the first one, and uh, and then helped a um, a kaiju uh, lay an egg in our second one. Mm-hmm. Um, in our third one, we pivoted the game a bit, and we have now um, we did a mystery uh, that is starting to look at some of the history of the game, um, and now what looks like a little bit of the history of the ship that they're on um, as they made some discoveries about. Um, about this uh, warp gate that um, is in their solar system, but hasn't has has never worked in in recorded history. No one has ever um, seen this thing work. And of course, the characters being geniuses are like, well, we'll get this thing fired up. Yeah. <laughs> and um, in doing so, make some discoveries, um, not only about the warp gate, but about their ship, um, Auxilium. Uh, and the discovery of a quantum network that stretches over the four solar systems in their sector. Um, uh, so it was good. It was a fun. It was a fun game. It was different. We weren't oh, on yeah. a um, clock countdown. Um, you didn't really do like your super genius fix things. We did like more, um, just a more traditional back and forth play with skill checks and stuff like that. Cortex remains um, just great. Um, I really enjoyed this. I- really enjoy the shit out of the, the mechanics of this game um things that look simple um things that look hard turn out to be simple sometimes like i'm rolling 2d10 for difficulty but then i roll a one and a five right the one comes right out the five like you easily beat it kind of thing um or i roll like 2d8 and i get like a like a 15 like it it's mm-hmm. it, it it's far less like oh i know i'm gonna beat this it's a lot more of like Odds are in my favor, but we'll see. Um, so anyway, it was a lot of fun, and it was cool to get into some of the Ox background because um, I've had a lot of that written for a while, and we haven't had a moment to um, uh, to ease into that storyline. So we're getting into part of that, and I got a lot planned out for that. Um, besides that, um, I've been watching a lot of SEAL Team, well into season two by now, heading into almost season three. Um, Picard. I'm, um, I don't know. I'm lukewarm on Picard. I don't dislike it, but I'm not like riveted to it. Um, it's okay. Like it's solid. Like there's nothing wrong with it, but I don't know. I, I just got to a, um, I don't want, I'm a few, I'm a few episodes behind and I think I just got to one of the major reveals. So I'm like, Hmm, this could be interesting. Uh, a character I was not expecting to see suddenly appeared at the end of the episode. And I was like, Hmm, that is interesting. I, I am now interested in seeing the next episode to see where this goes. Um, watched Moon Knight. I definitely, I, I was, I was, I, I liked episode one. And then I was like, I don't get a lot of this. Um, episode two was good. It was definitely better than one. Um, I'm not, 
I know Jerry's more excited about it than I am. I don't dislike it, um, but I'm also still kind of like, all right, I'm going to just let this simmer. Um, it definitely helped to understand a lot more of what was going on now. Like, um, I still don't think I understand everything, but I understand a lot more um, of it. And um, the Moon Knight effects are cool. The um, what's his face? The God, um, Kanchu. the Kanchu. Yeah. Like showing up, in, like showing up in places and stuff like that. Um, also, also pretty cool kind of thing. I uh, played a little bit of No Man's Sky. Haven't played a ton. Um, still reading Gideon the Ninth. And uh, Senda and I had our Long Live the Queen game where we started our first mission that is not one of the original playtest stories. So I have like this kind of um, uh, new mission for uh, her character and her team to go on. And it's definitely got more prongs to it um, where the other ones were very, um, because they were playtest things, they were very like, one, like, like you know, one storyline, very straightforward. Um, this one's a lot more spread out with some personal stuff and family stuff and mission stuff like and then and, and, st- and that stuff crossing over each other. So it's good. Cool. I'm done. Sorry. That's all right. All right. Well, I will wrap us up for tonight. And with the Patreon shout outs, guess what? It's time for the Royal Court. We have looped back around. So thank you very much to Andrew Dacey, the Warden of Whiskeys. Andy Olson, the Duke of Dice. Bread, the Royal Mead Maker. Craig, the Lord of One Name. Chromatic Chameleon, the Queen's Spy Mistress. Eric Bontz, the Duke of Gators and the Lord of Beefness. GM Gerrymander, the Lord of the After Show. Jesse Edmund, the Royal Doctor. Jim, the Royal Merchant Emeritus. John Carney, the Court Necromancer. Kevin Lovecraft, the Royal Beard. Richard Wyatt, the Captain of the Royal Airship Fleet. Schmitty, the Keeper of the Labyrinth. Tiberius Starcrash Smith, the Baron of Britannia. Todd Crapper, the Prophet of Probability. And Richard Ruane, the Knight of Roseville Beach. And thank you to everyone for listening. That's nice. (laughs) That's a nice title. Yeah. Excellent. Sorry. Please proceed. I I did. Oh, very good. If you're free on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. the Queen's time. Come join us live on Twitch where you can chat with the other listeners in the chat room for life and ask us the occasional question. And if you can't make the live show, check out our podcast each week wherever you get your podcasts. And take a listen to some of the other shows in the Mr. Mark Network, such as They're a Super Geek, Mastering Dungeons, Bones Stone Obsidian, The FM Gamers, Pandas Talking Games, The Gnomecast, John Goo Hustle, The Lounge, Bonus Experience, and the awesome back episodes of She's a Super Geek. You can and should check out our sibling podcast, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, and the always amazing Gaming and BS. Mm-hmm. Before you drop all that sweet rewards on your players, overloading them and creating a whole mess for your campaign, leave us some feedback. You can reach us directly via the old-fashioned emails. By the way, we're Gen Xers. We love email, by the way. Um, MMP at misdirectedmark.com. You can hit us up on the Twitters. The show in the network, as always, is Misdirected Mark. He's Robert M. Everson. It's GM Gerrymander. I'm DNA Phil. If you like what we do here and on the other shows in the Misdirected Mark network, you can support our Patreon campaigns. MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games are all at patreon.com slash MMP. Zhang Hustle is at patreon.com slash Zhang Hustle. And Bonus Experience is at patreon.com slash bonus experience. Patrons of MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games get access to the after show, pre-production show notes, musical parodies, the Bamboo Lounge, and other special releases. 
This has been a Director Mark production, the media arm of Encoder Designs. Mic drop. We out. <laughs>